When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. Never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I was the up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. I'm down to one field, and we'll see them all. What you doing down here, you surely man? (laughs) Roman Abramovich loves footballers. Football managers... He can take or leave, but show him a lad who can do a thousand keepy-uppies or ping a 70-yard diag onto the shoelaces of a teammate, and you will win this man's heart. Andrei Shevchenko, Didier Drogba, Frank Lampard, Branislav Ivanovic for some reason. Yes. All of these men have been among his favourites, and right now it appears teacher's pet is David Luiz. Hello and welcome to Monday Second Catlin's Football Podcast. Hi Ken, hi Kieran. You know? Hello. It was kind of bizarre to watch the post-match analysis yesterday. Chelsea just beat Manchester United 1-0. Mm-hmm. They'd shown all the qualities that supporters, and presumably Abramovich himself, wanted to see in the wake of some very poor results recently. And yet the talk afterwards was how, <laughs> certainly from Gary Neville anyway, was how, oh well, he's obviously done for now. You know, he, just, <laughs> he dropped Louise there. Said that he's gone. You can't drop a, a big name player in Chelsea. Yeah. Well, he did bomb, Con- uh, bomb Costa out of there without too much inconvenience. It seems maybe Louise holds uh, more of a central place in the heart of Abramovich than Diego Costa did. Of course he does. Why, of course? Well, one night in Munich, Mm -hmm. I was there. Roman Abramovich was there. And most importantly of all, David Louise was there. And David Louise being there is the reason why Chelsea are a European Cup winning team. And uh, I think when you see something like that, it can't help but make an impression on you. I mean, how many times has Roman Abramovich sat there and seen David Luiz been the best player on the pitch, pitch for Chelsea? Many times. Has he always been the best player on the pitch? No. I mean, nobody ever is. But enough times for Roman Abramovich to think, you know what, I love that guy, David Luiz. Well, Shevchenko was rarely the best player on the pitch for Chelsea, and yet... He also loved Shevchenko. Oh, that was. Uh, I think. He was. If you go to back, back to Olympic Stadium in Kiev, to be honest, I don't know how many times Abramovich watched him there. Uh, but he was a very fine player. Oh, and I'm also talking a, about Chelsea, though. Yeah. And also a Russian speaker mm. and a political man, Andrei Shevchenko. So a lot in common with Roman Abramovich. More, more, you would think, than, than David Luiz ostensibly mm. does. Still, though, Ken. Winning a European Cup for Roman Abramovich. That sort of thing gets a man's attention. It does. It does. He And, and just having a big heart and a great soul uh, 
mm. in the manner that, that David Louise clearly does. Now, okay, it, it appears as though David Louise, you know, sometimes I suppose we all fall fall to the sin of um, of pride. Mm-hmm. He just cared too much. Nothing, nothing stings quite like, you know, needled pride. And it appears that uh, Antonio Conte, in his post-match debrief after Chelsea lost 3-0 at Roma, uh, may have used some harsh words. He may, have, he, he may have had some cutting things to say. And it appears as though, I don't know whether it was something David Luiz says or was it just for the look in his eye. Uh, but for one reason or another, Antonio Conte took exception to David Luiz, taking exception to Antonio Conte's analysis of David Luiz. And uh, as a result of all that, he was sitting in the stands watching a very fine display from young Andreas Christensen. But <laughs> the, the, I thought the thing, the, the kind of funny thing that Conte did was it wasn't just the fact that he bombed Luiz out of the squad, because that is. You know, I mean, he was like, oh, of course it was a tactical decision. Yes, it was tactical. It clearly wasn't a tactical decision. You, you don't drop a guy from the squad who's been your main central defender for, you know, it's pretty much since you've arrived at the club um, for tactical reasons. Um, you do so because you've had a falling out. Uh, and, he, and he made that clear. after. I mean, he, he also said tactical reasons, tactical reasons after the game. But he also said that Luis has to work very hard like all the other players or he's going to be on the bench. Or And then Antonio Conte looked towards the sky or in the stands. Mm. So it's pretty obvious where he's coming from. But the, but the little um, kicker that he threw in there before the game was uh, the club, you know, should be happy. Andreas Christensen plays. The club like to play with the young player. And so this was like... Absolutely, like screw you to the to the board. It's like, what, what, what's the problem? I'm just doing what you, I'm just doing what you asked me to do. I'm playing a young player. You know, this is this is what I'm, I'm. I thought this was. I thought this was a job. I thought this was a break. You know, of course, I'm. I'm. I'm just. I'm just. I'm just following instructions here. I'm following instructions. And so, it was. It was openly sort of contemptuous. That's the reason why I think you know that sort of thing. Abramovich doesn't have the patience for. He's a very rich man. Time is the one commodity that's in short supply to him. Life is too short to put up with a manager who defy who defies your wishes, and you know then <laughs> then takes the piss out of you. You know, even if he is a very fine manager. If, I mean, yeah, if Chelsea were a card player, you know, this is the moment you know the tell that everyone looks for. There's going to be some changes around Chelsea. You know, a, a, a previously extremely important player. They never it, it never happens quietly. There's always like a massive explosion. Then there'd be two or three months of talking about the manager, two bad results, out goes the manager, goes in the comes, manager. oh, I don't even know. Is there anyone left that hasn't managed Chelsea yet? It or are was, we going well, to start the, doubling he's, back? He's repeated. I mean, yeah. he's already repeated with, with Mourinho. I mean, Ancelotti's out of a job. I mean, I, I did always wonder how this was going to happen or how this was going to go when Abramovich finally did come down to the Chelsea training ground with a complaint. Because this is the thing that previous Chelsea managers, most uh, in most detail, Carlo Ancelotti has spoken have spoken about what what amazed Ancelotti. And remember, here we have a man whose whose primary skill in life, it, well, that's that's a, that's wrong to say, but certainly one of whose foremost skills as a manager, managing up exactly, he is able to get on with with people. He's able to you know people get on with him, and he just he found it very difficult to control his temper. When, uh, you know, he, he talks about uh, starting the season really well, winning a lot of games, then 
boom, you suddenly lose a game, like your, their ninth or tenth game of the season at Wigan, surprisingly. Bramovich is there the next day, going, what happened? What's going on? You know, you're making a right, right balls this. And Ancelotti sort of having to use all of his his zen sort of powers of self-restraint to to bite his tongue and say, yes, boss, you know, it certainly wasn't um, wasn't our best performance and we certainly understand we certainly need to do a lot better than that. Uh, as opposed to, are you insane? Like, uh, have, you, have you ever watched a football season? This is the kind of thing that happens in football. It's basically a random outcome generator. And so far, we've, you know, we've got like nine wins out of ten. Come on. So I always wondered how Antonio Conte, who is not as famous as Carlo Ancelotti for being able to rise above these types of provocations. To 10. He's got a little bit of David Luiz in him, you could say, Antonio Conte. You know, when someone points the finger at him, he has a tendency to point a finger right back and say, well, what about you? And uh, I always wondered how that, would, how that would go down with Abramovich. And we don't know. I mean, Conte's still the manager, but there's got to be a chance, despite all the excellent work he's done, and the fact that he's still clearly really committed to winning games with Chelsea. It's not like sometimes you get a situation where a manager who knows he's on the way out doesn't really care. I think we've seen that at Chelsea before. Mm-hmm. You know, isn't too bothered whether they win or lose. Conte clearly really is, uh, but only on his own terms. And that's just not, not a luxury often afforded Chelsea managers. Thanks for all the emails in of the World Service shows over the past few days, folks. We'll give our Monday listeners, our Monday-only listeners, that is, you know, the freeloaders, a breakdown of Let's what they missed. Back. Yeah, I, that, no, I wouldn't go that far now. We'll give them a breakdown of what they missed uh, out on in just a second. But first, an email here for everybody from Laura to editor at secondcaptains.com regarding the latest player's chair from Richie Sadler. We had that on Friday. Hey, lads. World Service subscriber and big fan of the player's chair in particular here. On listening to last Friday's interview, interview with Shay Given, I know I should probably outline the headline sections from the interview like, nobody knows what Martin O'Neill does in the Ireland camp. But what struck me, oh, they really, they really don't. But what struck me upon listening to the excellent interview was the following. I accidentally pressed half speed on my Apple podcast player and an amazing thing happened. Shea Given turned into a drunken Daniel O'Donnell. This is important news, and I recommend all World Service subscribers give it a go. All the best, Laura. Well, will we give it a whirl? Yeah, go on then, yeah. He doesn't drink, but he would, he would come out or whatever, or... <laughs> You'd like have a bit of crack, you don't even have to drink, not everybody drinks, you know. <laughs> Are you having that? Uh, Daniel O'Donnell doesn't sound like that. Well, he does a little. He doesn't. Well, he speaks a lot, he speaks, it's very similar to Shea Given, only a lot slower. He's got, so you can see is, where it, is it slow? Does he have a yeah, he slow delivery? Yeah. Well, you got to say, Laura said it sounds like a drunken Daniel O'Donnell, so we don't know what that's like. You would have so to I, hear Daniel, Daniel O'Donnell drink. I, I don't know, I've never, I've certainly never seen him in I would, I would have guessed not, but, you know, I could be wrong. Yeah, I don't know where you're getting that from, Ken. I mean, I'm sure he, he, we just haven't seen him drunk publicly. That doesn't, mean you know, that doesn't say anything to the man's uh, personal habits. True. Now, non-World Service members, you missed one of our favourite ever weeks last week, which not only included a new player's chair, but also our 1,000th show, believe it or not. The star of which was the incredibly charming, Murph, I'm going to say, mm-hmm. and legendary George Hamilton. And the start of the 1,000th show featured a solo use. Gabs haven't even heard yet. Take it away, Ken. Words alone are not enough. I have to, I have to resort to song. Oh, well, yeah, okay. A heart full of love, a heart full of song. I'm doing everything all wrong. 
Oh, God, for shame, I do not even know your name. Dear World Service subscriber, won't you say? Ken Early, Owen McDevitt, secondcams.com. Go on and subscribe if you're not already uh, a member. Great value for money. Better value for money than the license fee, some people would say, Alan. Not me now, obviously, mm. but... Uh, not me, either, Hugh. I don't want to put them down, but they seem to want to prove that you don't need to know anything about football to write about it. What you think doesn't really matter. The press come and go, as we know. You mentioned Ken Early. Well, yeah. you know, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with anything Ken Early says about football. <sighs> Second cap, first cap, whatever. Bang up to date now with uh, my sad captains, not to be confused with second captains, the equally brilliant second captains. It's my sad captains. The volcano has erupted. Four days have shaken a kingdom. This is the verge of unbelievable. Maggie Thatcher, your guys took a hell of a beating. Honestly, when I was watching that, I was roaring at the screen. Yes, George. That I can't believe you've gone for that. That was amazing. I uh, I, I didn't realise. Uh, I, I mean, I've heard it since, but when you, you've sprung that one on me, and uh, I'm quite pleased. Yes, thank you. To listen to our full show, I told you he was charming. To listen to our full show celebrating our 1,000 podcast, our interviews last week with Shay Given, Jason Sherlock, US Murph, and our recent chat with the lovely Neville Southall. You must become a World Service member. We'll be counting down to Denmark to the Denmark match all week and we'll have some special programming around the two games. So just mm. go to secondcaptains.com forward slash join now and support independent broadcasting for five or a month plus what? Uh, to hear George Hamilton say the words Rotweiss Oberhausen is <laughs> truly to live. All right, let's report on some sport. So, um, where are we at? Okay, let's start off. There's a, it was a great weekend football. There's a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, Headline news today is Slavin Bilic has finally been put out of his misery at West Ham. Um, he, it's, it's so crazy that Slavin Bilic was still the West Ham manager at this point. Um, because he's been speaking openly about, like, you know, he, he keeps getting asked, oh, Slavin, this must make your position difficult. And he goes, well, you know, my position is obviously not too good <laughs> but he's been, this has been happening since like this time last year you know it's like he's been expecting to get sacked every monday since last mm. year and for some reason it hasn't happened whether it's economizing you know on the on the payouts and all this sort of stuff um but for one reason another west ham waited until now and they say today we can confirm Simon Bilch has today left his position with the club the chairman and board of west ham united would like to place on record their thanks and gratitude to Simon and the team their services, but believe a change is now necessary in order for the club to move forward positively and in the line with their ambition. Now, apparently, the man who they've uh, decided—I remember, remember, this is a club that's had a long time to think about who's going to be the next manager because it's been clear that Simon Bilic is, you know, as we as we said, on the way out for more than a year, a long time, and the answer. At this point, appears to be David Moyes. You got the job on a technicality. David Moyes. Uh, now, okay, this is this is the 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 talk is West Ham to appoint Moyes at the end of the to the end of the season, and see how that goes. I think this is crazy. I honestly think this is this is this is nuts. This is a really 
I mean, it's a, it's a terrible appointment in in both the fact that that after having all this time to plan who this next appointment was going to be, they the the only name they can come up with apparently is David Moyes, and then you've got the fact that Moyes I think is going to have a real struggle. I mean, he always thinks he's it's a struggle. It's a very very difficult job. That's that's his his um, motto. They could tattoo it on his forehead at this stage. Yeah, it's very very difficult. But, you know, hopefully. Hopefully we'll dig in and hopefully, uh, you know, we'll start getting a, a bit of luck that, that we haven't been getting over the last few games. <laughs> you know, and that's that's kind of, that, that we've we've heard that from David Moyes, whether he's been managing um, Manchester United or Sunderland. Which team, by the way, Owen, is currently bottom of the uh, championship table? Sunderland. Yes. I have to say I only know this because I followed Jonathan Wilson on Twitter. Yes, yes, yes. They would have slipped entirely from my consciousness were it not for that fact. Sunderland are bottom of the championship table. And this is the team that David Moyes is managing last year, you know, and, and, and a lot of he, he was saying, you know, it's about it's about groundwork sometimes. Sometimes you don't see the results on the pitch, but the groundwork that's going on you, go, you know, it's like the duck. It's like the duck that's swimming. Like uh sometimes you know, you see the duck, you, you don't see the legs beating furiously. Sunderland are like a duck that's just a pair of legs under the water and the duck itself has been blown away by an explosion of some kind. <laughs> there is no duck. It's just legs and feathers. This is what's left. Now, you know, David Moyes has done some good work as a manager, but the problem is that he has had two such high-profile failures that all of the Premier League fans, and West Ham are in the Premier League, and the fans are following the Premier League mainly, no longer believe that David Moyes is has really got what it takes at this level. That's just that that's that's what it costs you when you have two big failures like that. You know what I mean? It's like a it's like a boxer who who has two horrible knockouts in a row. Is Previously, it the boxer? Is it the boxer though, or is it you know the fans' perception of that boxer? What I'm asking basically is: David has David Moyes lost his nerve as a manager? More so than the fans now think that he's a failure, therefore he must be a failure. The problem is that the fans being against you makes everything much more difficult. Now, they may not necessarily be against him. I just think, in my opinion, I think West Ham fans will hate the idea of David Moyes being their manager. The man who, you know, took Manchester United to their lowest uh, Premier League finish. The man who got Sunderland relegated last season. Who became, you know, he, he became identified with this very sort of hangdog uh Desolation, this, oh, we're really up against it, lads. This sort of depressive pessimism. And that West Ham, you know, the idea that, that West Ham, who they, they kind of think of as being, you know, an exciting place to play football, you know, a sort of a, um, I don't want to lapse into Cockney cliche here, but, you know, kind of a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, you know, Racist. I don't mean to say wheeler dealers. But you know, a bit of a bit of daring do. He who dares wins, Rodney. That's South London, of course. Not is it South? Yeah, Peckham and South, right? <laughs> but, you know, we get what you're saying. He who dares okay. wins. A bit, of, a bit of cheek, a bit of style, a bit of audacity, a bit of swagger. This is West Ham. This is what West Ham. This is the precious part of their image that they cling to. This is the problem Sam Allardyce had, doing a, a, a Hurst, solid Moore, job. Peters. The West Ham way. Sam Allardyce gets so contemptuous talking about the West Ham way because he was not perceived to be the West Ham way. He was a he was a big Northern man 
who played very functional, very very what he would call pragmatic football. And and even though West Ham were solidly mid-table and doing quite well, they were like, get him out of here. Mind you, I don't, he didn't feel he was a Newcastle way either, did he? <laughs> well, he didn't like the Newcastle way. A more Newcastle northern way, club. But. The Newcastle way either. But I just, I really feel as though this is a very risky appointment. And why would you make it when the stakes of relegation are so high? This is going to cost you so much money. You know, I mean, it seems as though the village thing, they, they waited a long time because they they were like hoping that it would turn around so they could avoid having to pay the contracts because it's a waste of money. Well, the most expensive thing that can happen to West Ham is being relegated. I feel as though if they if, if Moyes is appointed, it's going to be very difficult for him, as I said, he always thinks it is, but he'll have immediate skepticism from the supporters. It won't be a case of, oh, you know, let's see how this goes with the new guy. We're all a little bit excited about this. It's like, I can't believe we're now a David Moyes club. You know, Sullivan and Gold, what do you think you're doing? And given that you've already got a fairly a weak team, you know, or a team that has got some good players, uh, but, you know, is not, is not super well organized and is in a competitive division. I think this is very risky, but, you know, uh, I'm not running West Ham. So what can you do? Oh. James McLean news. Well, James McLean. James McLean. I want daily James McLean updates in the build-up to Ireland Denmark. Well, uh, James James McLean is yeah. I mean, this this this, this big game is is coming up. Um, has been struggling to get into the West Brom team though. Maybe he's too too exciting, too attacking a player for Tony Pulis to stomach having him in the team on a regular basis. Or maybe Tony Pulis is just a little bit worried about what might happen to James McLean out there, especially at this time of year. It's the most wonderful time of the year for all of the fascists in. Uh, who go to Premier League football because <laughs> it really is the time when they can just raise the flag high, wave it proud and attack everybody who doesn't go. I, I should mention Miguel. I don't know if you saw Miguel Delaney on Sunday Supplement. No, no. Well, I, I actually missed him too, but he made sure that I was aware that he appeared on, <laughs> he, that he appeared on, on British television. Not populous. No, populous, that one. Populous. Big time populous. Big time. And uh, yeah, I think he was a bit disappointed that he didn't get more. Uh, <laughs> he had to call it Gabberdicket four <laughs> times in a row before anyone actually noticed. But you know, <coughs> it, it, it is. Sorry, a, lads, uh, I don't it, know if you've noticed, but uh, <coughs> it is a wonderful time. I mean, maybe if if Sunday Supplement had been taking place, you know, at uh, at the ground of Huddersfield or Leicester City or Just Glasgow Rangers, hour, maybe. if it had been a live show at Ibrox or Stamford Bridge. Maybe then we would have had a bit more of uh, a bit more reaction to the fact because you know football crowds certainly at Huddersfield when against West Brom they had noticed James McLean was there everybody remembers James McLean everybody knows he's not wearing a poppy you know you don't even have to see the shirt to know he's not wearing one and he was getting booed quite a lot and anyway well the facts are in injury time Huddersfield had a had an attack down the left Tom Ince is there James McLean galloping back. Uh, Tom Ince is sort of trying to hold the ball up, which gives James McLean the time to gallop right in and through Paul Ince. I mean, did you see the tackle? Did you see it? Yeah. It was, I mean, oh my God, like, what are you doing? You know, it's it's like a, he, he's, he's coming through at a great speed, but he also kind of kicks high as he goes through. And it's amazing, you know, Ince, well, Ince managed to just jump out of the way. 
Um, but it's so risky. To, it's crazy to do that. that. What is he thinking when he does that? This is another. This is another player. Is he? If he serious? If he injures Tom Ince, well, how does he? How is he going to feel about that when his head has, when the fizzing has stopped in his brain? You know. Now they they highlighted the tackle on match of the day. James McLean straight on Twitter. Convenient how match of the day cameras pick up my tackle, but fail to pick up bottles, coins, and lighters being throwing in the same incident. Now, I didn't see Tom Ince throw anything at James McLean. You know, I didn't, there, there was no... What a story it would have been if he had. Well, what a story it would have been, certainly. It would have put a slightly different complexion on the, on the re- revenge tackle. It was like a revenge tackle without a cause, you know? But okay, the Huddersfield fans, I could hear that they were booing him. The cameras picked that up. It wasn't as though anyone made anything of it. Everyone knows why it's happening. Um... But as for the bottles and, and coins, did this happen before the tackle or after? I mean, is, is he saying that he was spurred to do it by he, because he was enraged because he was being pelted by stuff? Or did he get pelted with stuff by fans who had just seen him try to kill one of their players? Because, again, that, that, those are two slightly different situations. Yeah, yeah funny, I'd assumed it was the former when, uh, just by the word, I hadn't actually even considered that it was the opposite. I, I had assumed, yeah, I was yeah. enraged because look at what, what I was being but subjected either, to. But he, yeah, he, was, either way, he was taking coroners, so maybe it was happening in yeah, coroners. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, though, what he's saying basically is that I can't maintain my composure when fans are shouting at me, yeah. which is not something, as a professional footballer, you want to be admitting no. ever. Nonsense. nonsense. No. Utter, P- utter Patrice Evra might have some empathy, though. Well, Patrice Evra. <laughs> okay. Uh a little bit of a hothead, I guess, Patrice Evra. <laughs> I know this is this news is a few days old. Did but you see the Evra? Did you, you see the banner the Marseille fans had at the game? Uh, subsequent, you mean? Just over the weekend there. You set yourself above Marseille and its fans. We don't want you and our careers anymore. <laughs> Get out of the club, Evra. Castoire. Well, it was in French. I've just tried to. That's just trying to bring it French, Frenchify it slightly. Honestly, like that wasn't French. You were speaking just now. No, no, no. Oh. Ken, are you familiar with the uh, comedy series Allo Allo? <laughs> really good. You should check it out. Really educational really as well. That's the best yeah, yeah. That not, not anyway is xenophobic. But okay, look, you, pl- players being abused by fans. This happens a lot. Sometimes they get pelted. I mean, remember Figo is the most famous example. Figo didn't respond. Didn't kick it. He didn't, you know, go smashing into. Patrick Clivert or whoever, it was just uh, just something he had to deal with. I mean, I've seen Luis Suarez, who's obviously one of the most notorious maniacs in football, being absolutely pelted with uh, stuff by supporters at Everton and using it as an opportunity to for misdirection. You know, uh, that is, picking up a lighter... Going, oh, like holding up this lighter, like, oh my God, what's ha- like, oh, what's happening? What are they doing here? And then very quickly taking your corner. <laughs> you know what I mean? This, this is what you do if you're if you're thinking about the game. He, McLean cannot do this. It just makes him look stupid. It makes him look like an idiot. You know, if if you were of the opinion that guy is an idiot, well, you see that and you're like, well, there you go. That's what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Is the abuse not idiotic? Is the fact the that every a- year, every year at this time of year, he has to go through? Of this course, the abuse is idiotic, which is why you can't you can't sink to the level. And of these it also idiots. happens to be one of these situations where you know you're in the right. High moral you know, ground. Like he has the high moral ground. Like he knows that all right thinking people actually agree with his right to do whatever he wants to do in this situation. Absolutely. It's the, it might be one of the few times in a football career that you get to say, I'm a lot smarter than everyone else in this crowd. I'm, I'm smarter than these people. Yeah. And yet he decides that's, like, that's the worst of it. It is. It's, 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 it's unfortunate. But, you know, and again, if you're peerless, it's like, well, if he's going to do that kind of stuff, that's a red, it's a red card risk. 
You know what I mean? Okay, it's, it's record sendings off Premier League-wise. Uh, you know, I can't think of too many. I think it's happened at least once. You know, it's not like he's a serial getting sent off guy. But look, and and the, and an attire like that is everyone will remember it. You know, it's like oh, there's McLean. I remember. I remember what he tried on Tom Ince that time. Everyone who's seen it will remember it. It's like this is what the association is there. Well, the next time a referee sees him fouling someone, he didn't get sent off for that one. Obviously, he only got booked. But um, there was a you know, Pulis has has been losing a lot of games recently as well, and and. Uh, People are wondering whether he might be the, the, the next manager under pressure. I don't know if you saw any Steven Gerrard and, and Frank Lampard on BT Sport. I didn't. Gerrard and Lampard were on, um, they were analysing, you know, the, the Chelsea Chelsea Man United game. Was it, or was it the Liverpool, was it West Ham Liverpool? Yeah, it was West Ham Liverpool, of course. That's the BT Sport game, the half, half five on Saturday. And they have like a little discussion bit kind of after they've done the analysis of the main match, they then sort of go through games and give mm -hmm. their views and Maka joined them, you know. I think it was the platform for Troy Deeney's... Um, That's right. Yeah, wonderful performance. They, the guy who... What's the name of that? Jake Humphrey? Yeah. Said, oh, well, you know, we've asked Mark Noble if he'll come in, you know, we'll see if he'll front up. And I thought to myself, if I'm Mark Noble, no way am I going on your show. Well, I have to go on to your show to front up. YouTube I might have gone fans on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talking about games. I mean, it's a very odd show. Anyway. But uh, yeah, they, they they did have YouTube clips. Any one of them was was someone complaining about Pulis, I think, and uh, and the, and the question was put, and Gerard said, you know, West Brom fans like West Brom fans are think Pulis are sick of his style of football, blah blah blah. Think they need to be careful what they wish for, said Stephen Gerrard. He then sketched out the uh, sketched out a dark scenario where they sack Pulis, thinking, oh, this is going to be great, we're going to play great football, and then the new guy comes in. And it's a total shambles. And, and they let in, you know, loads of goals and they, they turn into a rabble and they go down. So be careful what you wish for. I would I would stick with Tony Pulis. He's proven proven to keep teams in the Premier League. And I thought, okay, well, it's a point of view. I I would disagree, but it is a point of view. A little bit later, uh Gerard was asked about Emre Chan uh joining the, you know, Emre Chan hasn't signed a contract at Liverpool. Juventus supposedly interested, maybe Bayern as well. Maybe fancies joining Juventus. I think he's got to be careful. He doesn't make a decision where he thinks the grass is greener on the other side. And I thought, Gerard, do you not do you not spot it when these things come out of your mouth like consecutively? <laughs> do you never stop and think, hang on? It seems that every time something is put to me, I always err on the side of pessimism, pessimism and caution. It's just always, I, I, in his opinion, you, know, you go to Juventus, you're he, and and even the reasons where. He mightn't, he mightn't get in the team there. You know, he mightn't be getting in that yeah. team. You know, like as in Liverpool are, are, are a bad enough team for him to play for. Yeah, yeah. But if Jake he goes Humphreys there... announces that they're about to go for an outbreak. Stephen Gerrard says, oh, I don't know about that, know. Jake. We've got some viewers now. Maybe they would be back maybe, with... Maybe, maybe they'll go out and make a cup of tea. Forget outbreak. all about this show. Yeah. I don't know. just like, come on, Stevie. Like, you know, sometimes... It's fifty-fifty whether things you know go go, go well or, also, or I mean, not so well. It's not even your career. Like you know, roll the dice here, <laughs> yeah, team. You know, who cares? Exactly. But it was it was amazing. Emery, my my view on Emery Chan is Juventus would be the best move he could possibly make. I mean, you know, he he's playing. He would be playing in a slower league, which I think is more suited to his skill set. You know, uh, you know, he he'd be playing for a great club. Uh, he'd have he he'd he'd be onto a third country. He'd be having one of these real 
you know, European great player type careers. Karen you know. Seidorf career without all the Champions League trophies. Absolutely. You know, I think it, I, I can't see the downside really to him, of me, especially on a free transfer. So he'd be cashing in as well. You know, I, I mean, I can. there's an argument for him to stay where he is as, as well. But I think the if I think if I was him, I'd definitely be um, doing Italian lessons. But look, that's that's the way it is. Uh, that's good. Sean Deitch, another English manager who may be getting a chance. He already has a chance, of course. He he has a team and level and points with Liverpool and Arsenal at the moment. Uh, but will he be tempted away to Goodison Park, or will he? Would he even see that as a good move, or will Everton give it unzi to the end of the season? Why is it always got to be a foreign manager? Give it unzi. Give it unzi to the end of the season. Look, unzi. I don't know if you saw Everton's win against Watford, but Bloody it was. Did, Ken. Oh, it was Bloody amazing. did. I mean, it was incredible. Yeah, I'd assumed Watford were going to win this match, uh, and they probably should have, to be fair. Uh, and they certainly should have got at least a draw because they missed a penalty in the like 11th minute of injury time after Everton had scored a penalty to go 3-2 up in injury time. So uh, disappointing if you're you know one of the Hornets fans who's made the journey. But it was the first uh, important win for David Unsworth, who, who apparently had laid down the law on training during the week by booting out the uncommitted Kevin Morales and Morgan Schneiderlin, Schneiderlin out of training. Get out. Going to need to see more effort than that. Um, uh, I think Morales was saying, it's a difficult situation for me on Instagram, but in life there are things much more serious than my personal situation. So at least he's able to keep things in perspective. But the question would be, would you, if you were uh, Everton's chairman, Farhad Mashiri, or rather majority shareholder, I should say, because Ken Wright is, I think, still the chairman. But if you were making these decisions at Everton, would you go for David Unsworth, a man who has got no experience of management at this level, but does have an indisputable Everton-ness? Or would you be tempted to ask Deitch to take over? Probably be tempted to ask Deitch. Or would you? Go, or sorry, I should have said option C. Go for a another manager. See, it depends on how how good or not Unzi is. You know, Joey Barton doesn't seem to think he has the like, Joey Barton has physical shape to be involved. Joey so. Barton hasn't hasn't been right about everything. No, you know? he certainly hasn't. He hasn't got an immaculate record. And he's come in at a difficult time. I suppose the argument is that any caretaker manager is going to be coming in by definition at a difficult time, unless the club has been so successful that the manager has left. Uh, and they come in in a sort of uh, in that sort of capacity. So I, it, I this I sounds do more like, like I, you're arguing. I am Sean Dyche, and no, I don't want the Everton job. If I'm Sean Dyche, do I want the Everton job? I probably do, but am I right to go for it? Maybe not. See, was it Simon Hughes we were talking to a couple of weeks ago? He said, "I'm sure Sean Dyche would see it as a as a move up." And okay, Everton is clearly a bigger club, but Burnley have a better team. Well, it's like the time Owen Coyle saw Bolton as a move up from Burnley. Hmm. The rest of us didn't quite see it in as stark terms. I wasn't quite as aware at the time that Bolton was this big behemoth in comparison <laughs> to Burnley, but apparently so, and it d- didn't work out for him. No. So not that you're going, not that Sean Dyche is going to stay at Burnley his entire career, but yeah. is are there other options besides Everton? Possibly. Uh, I think yeah. I think to be honest, he. No, no, forget about it. I'm, actually, I'm going to go for it from Sean Dyche. You're going for it. You're just yeah, saying I don't care. Just yeah, yeah. The oppor- opportunity knocks, but once. 
on the one hand, we're saying Stephen Gerrard, very cautious, very pessimistic. So on the other, if we're going to stick by that yeah. criticism, then... Although there's also... <clears throat> yeah, that's true, but, but maybe you could say, believe in this team, and who knows where it could take you. All right. these gifted young Irish internationals. Who knows how high they could go? Probably about where they are now. Yeah. <laughs> They're probably could, right up could, there at the ceiling. They could win the World Cup or finish <laughs> 12th in the Premier League. Yeah. Um, so so we'll, we will see, uh, we will see how, how that turns out. Um, as to oh yeah what else uh, we're going to talk clearly in, more, in a bit more detail about the Chelsea uh, Man United but um, there was also a great game between Arsenal and City well I say a great game an enjoyable game um, Arsenal actually didn't play that badly and even though they lost 3-1 it was just they were up against a team that was playing well and could actually have scored a lot more goals and this is the thing Guardiola was complaining about afterwards the thing Wenger was complaining about was Raheem Sterling diving for one of the most blatant penalties that you'll ever see. It's ridiculous. Fingers mm. like, he dives well. We know he dives well. <laughs> like, you can't say that. About, you know, you can't say it when it's so blatant. Like, if, okay, Raheem Sterling dives, then, okay, attack him for that. But he clearly is bundled over by Nacho Monreal. It was actually brilliant play by Sterling because... Mm, Maybe 20 minutes previously, he had butchered a chance to put Sané away. Oh. Was it that even in the first that, half? That was in the first half, yeah. yeah. That uh, was the one Guardiola got really angry about. Oh, well, anybody would. It was so yeah. basic. It's a two-on-one. There's, there's, all you do is draw the defender. and you ha- He probably had about a 20-yard margin for error for the pass and ended up putting it 30 yards ahead of <laughs> schoolboy stuff. recipient. Schoolboy stuff. So I was quite impressed by the fact that he showed composure in a with a slightly more difficult situation. He had to get the ball under control, did that, did exactly the right thing, could have crossed his man, got fouled. Mm. If you want to criticise him. E- even back in the day, Ken, when like, British football was British football and diving didn't exist, I think there would still be... Still. There would still be a, a, a hat tip to the guy who the forwarder cuts across the attacker. As long as I can mm. remember, that was always the done thing. Mm. Go across the attacker, give that... Uh, oh, across the defender, I should say. Give the defender a decision to make. And if he touches you... You're going over. Well, that's and 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 Monreal actually bundled him over. It was like an American football tackle. You know, it was, it's like obviously that's a penalty. I couldn't believe Wenger was complaining about it. the offside, which was the third goal. He had a right to complain about. Although you can see that Granite Shaka got booked for screaming at the referee after that, and I imagine Shaka was a little bit annoyed with himself, as he was probably the main culprit in terms of just stopping. Well, that should obviously be offside, so I'm going to stop playing now. You know, it's, it's not offside. It's not offside unless they say it's offside. So you got to at least do something. Granit Xhaka was screaming, oh, presumably something along the lines of the referee. I completely stopped playing there, referee. And if you had given the offside decision, as you should have, and your your linesman over there had given the offside, I would have been, uh, you know, I w- that would have been fine. I would have said, but the fact the fact is, I saw Granit Xhaka just a couple of weeks ago stop playing, and there was no offside, which was which was the game that Arsenal conceded a goal. He literally stood at the edge of the box with his finger up his nose watching a goal fly into his net. It was, it was Deeney. It was Watford. That was the, the day of Deeney's... Uh, yeah. When Deeney was, performance. When Deeney was popular as opposed to raging monster Joe uh, or Troy Deeney tries to crush Joe Allen's skull. Uh, but, like, you know, so, so Shaka is a player who does this. It's, it's like his signature move. It's like he doesn't, he's not allowed into the box. Like, it's some kind of hopscotch-type restriction. He can't go into Arsenal's penalty area. Like, you know what you see a kid in a supermarket, like, trying to step on certain tiles and thinks the other tiles are lava? Like, that's what Shaka seems to do. So the offside was almost irrelevant. He was complaining about it. And, okay, it's always annoying to let him go. Like, Wenger says, 
they say to Wenger, well, you know, you think City are probably favourites for the title at this stage? And Wenger's like, well, if they keep getting decisions like that at home, they will be unstoppable. <laughs> okay, that was part of the story, but also Manchester City, once again, very good. That's it for Cairns Report on Sport. And Randolph sends it long. That's his tight outside. Shane Long's in behind the defence. Shane Long against Moyer. All right, let's get talking to John Bruin and Daniel Harris, guys, about, uh, I, would, I would say, if you're a Manchester United fan, a fairly dispiriting display in the second half in particular yesterday. Daniel, I mean, it was really just big man up top, lump it up long and, and see what happens. Is this what you get for the 300-odd million pounds spent under Jose Mourinho? Um, yeah, I mean, it was rubbish. And um, I think it's not quite as lumping the big lumping to the big man up front. It's not an unreasonable tactic to use in the last five minutes, which they did, when that was the only real point in the second half where it looked like they might do something. The problem was the 40 minutes or so that came before it. And I think in terms of, you mentioned the 300 million pounds that Mourinho spent. With him, I think often you find that people can't really be bothered to be balanced or nuanced. And it's very easy to be very critical of him, but it's also easy to be quite understanding of the situation that he's in, in that he turned up to an absolute mess and he made it better last season a bit and won two trophies in the process. It's better again this season. United are second in the league. And the team above them are very good. And if we're making the direct comparison, it's obviously inconvenient for Mourinho that it's the team across the city. But Guardiola turned up to not a mess and to Aguero, De Bruyne and Silva. And Mourinho didn't. So you can look at it that way. You can also look at it and be critical and say it's not acceptable to be getting this little out of the, out of the players that he has. And in particular, I think, to be as negative, I think, the problem with Mourinho really is that he becomes preoccupied with finding a way to win when he should just be getting on with winning. And I think that was something we saw yesterday and something we saw against Liverpool, playing teams who aren't playing that well with obvious weaknesses and not attacking them in the way that you should with the players that you've got. Well, we'll, we'll put some of this to John in a second, but I just want to want to ask you, Daniel, about the, the point you made about himself and Guardiola taking that Mourinho took over a mess and Guardiola took over a, a not mess. Do you really think that stands up? I mean, I, I think that the Manchester United squad, when Mourinho took over, was easily comparable to um, to, to Manchester City's in, in terms of quality. I mean, you, you talk about De Bruyne and Silva. Do you think that these players would be playing the way they are now if their manager was Jose Mourinho? And if you see you know, players like Mkhitaryan, for instance, most obviously Anthony Martial, don't you think they might be showing a little bit more if they had more of a footballing manager? That, that, wasn't quite, that wasn't quite what I said. I didn't say that Guardiola turned up to a not mess because, I mean, Pellegrini did make something of a mess. But when you, I don't think that you can compare Sergio Aguero, David Silva, to a player like Anthony Martial, who was 19, 19 when he came to United, 
he was a kid. You're not going to get consistent performances out of out of those out of a player well, of that you, age. You, you could compare him to Leroy Sané or Raheem Sterling, who were given very consistent performances and, and, and doing doing great stuff. I think it, I don't think it's at all unreasonable to take issue with Mourinho for the way that he's handled Martial in particular, and in particular this season for his refusal to play Martial and Rashford together. But when you look at who Martial has to get him the ball. Fellaini, not Pogba at the moment, which is obviously when United started to play particularly badly. And you compare someone like David Silva, who's established as one of the greatest players that the Premier League's ever seen. And when you have Aguero, one of the greatest strikers that the Premier League's ever seen for um, for Sterling and, and um, Sané to find. I'm not saying that Guardiola hasn't improved them. I'm not saying that Guardiola wouldn't perhaps have done a better job with the better players of United's squad. But I mean, the same the same way, I also think it's fair to say that would what would Guardiola have done if he turned up to find Fellaini in Herrera? Well, he would have. <laughs> I think we, we know what he would have done with Fellaini anyway. I don't know. He might have found <laughs> a use for Herrera. Who knows, John? What do you Some think? Just excluder. I'm not sure. John excluder. John Bruin, are you are you in any way sympathetic to uh, the or do you do you take the more sympathetic of the two scenarios there presented by Daniel with regards to how you're viewing Mourinho after yesterday? I, I, I agree with Daniel actually in the sense that I think. There was a mess at Manchester United. There isn't. I mean, you know, the, the, the Van Hal couple of seasons and the Moyes morass. That is, that was a club in flux. I do agree with Ken that there are talented players at hand there. Um, but I think the thing that you'd have to take issue with Jose Mourinho is that it's almost the, the, the lack of adventure. Uh, I think Daniel said that he, he he always looks to find a way to win. I'm not sure that he, he wants to win some games, the way that he sets up matches. I mean, yesterday I was actually watching the first 20 minutes, and I think Gary Neville said this in the commentary as well, uh, that um, United started well with adventure. Um, Marcus Rashford might have scored that header. Um, but beyond that, they just slowly retreat, 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 and then invite the other team on. And that's happened so often, it was... In the end, it wasn't dissimilar to the display at Liverpool, really, in terms of its adventure. And um, players like Mkhitaryan are the ones that take abuse on social media. But what essentially does he have to work with? Now, when I saw him playing for Borussia Dortmund, there was a player buzzing around the team, you know, always busy. But he gets such brief slivers of action of play that it, when he doesn't do anything with the ball, he becomes this, you know... This, uh, this figure for, for, for people to criticise because he doesn't do enough with the ball, but he doesn't get enough of the ball. Um, and, you know, um, Romelu Lukaku, much criticised by United fans for his display yesterday. But then again, what's he working with? He isn't necessarily the target man that a lot of people think he is. When he played at Everton, a lot of the time he was running on surpasses with the, you know, when he's playing for Roberto uh, Martinez. It's, it's a... Um, Mourinho's tactics, um, the thing that I have a problem I have with Mourinho is he doesn't seem to have amended his tactics for the last 10 years. And things have moved on. I think if he'd have gone to Manchester United 10 years ago, he might have been very successful. But what I see now, I don't predict great things, and especially not with a comparison that you have to make with Pep Guardiola being around at Manchester City. Well, see, this is when, when you, you, you talked about it in terms of a lack of adventure, and I think we have seen that. I do agree that yesterday they. Uh, the beginning or the first half was much more positive for Manchester United because I think they thought, you know, Chelsea are not at their best here, and also we really need to win this. So let's try and take the game to Chelsea. But but 
they're not used to playing that way in these in these games and I think you could you could tell that they were they were unaccustomed to what they were being asked to do but I think there's also a, a lack of knowledge you know it's a lack of 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 principles that would enable a team to play to play um good football I mean in the last half hour you just had long ball after long ball there wasn't really I mean there were there were there were times when David De Gea was booting the ball long to uh, there wasn't even you know Fellaini hadn't even had time to get forward and you're just thinking there's no way that a lot of other managers would even allow this to happen they would be out in the touchline screaming what are you doing we don't give the ball straight back you know we've only got 10 minutes we can't be just giving it straight back to them but there's no, there's none of that from from Jose Mourinho it's like he doesn't Understand? He's just like a guy in a casino rolling the dice. He thinks this worked last week against Tottenham. You know, we'll get this. We'll get this long, and something might go for us. There's no sort of knowledge. If it was Guardiola, if it was Pochettino, they would be going crazy at their team giving the ball back so easily with ten minutes to go. But if there's, if that kind of influence isn't coming from the manager, then of course the team is going to lose their heads. Yeah, two two things come to mind there. Um, the first is that that comment from uh, Eden Hazard, which has become quite famous now, where he pretty much said that, um, in, in making a comparison of Antonio Conte and uh, Jose Mourinho, said that he didn't, Jose Mourinho didn't really work on the forward play. It was left, you know, laissez-faire. It was left to, you know, we, we've built the rest of the foundation of the team. This is your job now. You, you create the goals from there. That's supposed to be what you're, you're paid for. And the next thing is, um, I mean, we, we have to compare Mourinho to the team that Alex Ferguson was the manager of. And the, the thing that, the thing that, um, when you mentioned David De Gea taking you know, a long punt down the field with a with a free kick, the thing, the memory that I have of watching Manchester United is if the ball goes for a free kick, the ball was just put on the spot by someone like Paul Scholes, Nicky Butt, Roy Keane, whoever, and then just played immediately, quickly, get the ball moving, get the ball moving. Let, let, don't give the, the opposition time to, to settle on the ball. Don't let them set up for, you know, uh, for set pieces. Don't give them time to set themselves, get into positions. And but what Manchester United don't possess under Mourinho is the relentlessness that um, they, they certainly had under Ferguson, and actually the relentlessness that they had. Chelsea's best teams, uh, the, the one, the first team that Mourinho had, they had that relentless power, that sort of go at opponents and grind them out. And you know maybe they weren't as aesthetically pleasing as say Manchester City are now, or maybe Manchester United were then. But they had that power, they had that that belief in themselves. And the Manchester United of, of that we've seen in the last few weeks just don't possess those qualities. I think that's true. But again, I also think that if you look at who Mourinho had when he turned up, he had Terry, he had Lampard, he had Cech. And those were three of the greatest players of a generation. And if you look at United now, I totally agree with the way that you play, with the way that they play is too slow. And I agree that Mourinho needs to be doing more to get that out of them. And you wonder whether he can. But then you again, look at the players that he has and think that without Pogba, what midfield is available to him that could make that better? And to again make the comparison with Guardiola, Guardiola was able to go and spend 150 million quid on fullbacks this summer. Mourinho needs to go and spend a significant amount of money on fullbacks because, I mean, Valencia and Young on the wings when you're chasing a game wasn't a good look under Fergie when both of those players were at their peak and you had the greatest, one of the greatest managers in the history of the game managing them, telling them what to do and players like Rooney and Van Persie um, for them to aim at. And United don't have that now. But without Pogba, United don't really have a workable midfield to play through. And part of that is who Mourinho has bought, for sure. But 
But part of that is also who Mourinho has been allowed to buy and what he's had to do. When he arrived, he had to do major surgery. He probably had, When he turned up, how many players are we really saying he would have thought, I really want to keep them? Not very many. And Guardiola didn't have that. But just to stop pairing with Guardiola for a second and to go back and just look at what Mourinho's doing right and what he's doing wrong. I think for me, if you're looking at the players that United have available and you're a defender or an opposition manager and you're thinking, who do I not want to see? Who do I not want to face today? Rashford and Martial are those two players that you think he can make me look stupid and I'm going to have to alter how I play to try and handle those players and those players can do unpredictable things. The refusal to play both of them together when the option is, say, Matter on the right. Matter's not a right winger. Matter's not good enough to play for a serious United team either. But it's not like they have serious alternatives and yet he still won't play those two players. Whereas for me, you think, well, United have got De Gea and Pogba, who are two elite-level players. They've got Rashford and Martial, who should become elite-level players. And you put those players in the team, and whatever else you're going to do, you work out from there, because you don't have the riches to say, well, actually, I want to play in this particular way. You have to try and find a system that suits the players that you've got. And Mourinho hasn't done that, and doesn't look like he's particularly got any interest in doing that either. Because even when he had Pogba available, he still wasn't playing Rashford and Martial. He was playing Mkhitaryan and Mata who were two luxury players. And I know, John, you were talking about the way that people get on Mkhitaryan's back. But I don't think it is just limited to Twitter. People I know who go to, I go to the game with have had enough of Mkhitaryan. And this is the thing with him, is that he's playing as a number 10, as part of a three-man midfield. If you're playing as part of a three-man midfield, you've got to contribute, you've got to get involved in the game. And the thing with Mkhitaryan is he has a beautiful eye for a pass, he has a lovely touch, and he makes goals when the team is playing well. But when the team isn't playing well, he doesn't offer anything. And if you compare him to Wayne Rooney, who played number 10, his numbers were miles better than Mkhitaryan's goals, assists. But he'd also get involved in the play. He'd pass the ball. He'd pick the ball up off the back four. And he'd put in a shift on a bad day. And Mkhitaryan does none of those things. And um, a three-man midfield with Mkhitaryan in it is a two-man midfield. Well, I think this is and the whole a- point. I think this is, this, this is kind of getting down to the whole point, Daniel. I mean, Mkhitaryan, I can't help but <clears throat> notice, he plays in this sort of... Um, between midfield and attack kind of position in which so many players, and we're talking about some of the great players of their generations, guys like Ian Robin, you know, have struggled in, in Jose Mourinho teams. And, you know, Mkhitaryan, I, it, I feel playing in a different team would be a completely different player. I mean, the fact is he's playing out of position in any case. I mean, that Manchester United bought him after he played for Dortmund, mainly on the right side of a front three. Now he's apparently in midfield and, and required to to dig in but it just seems to me as though he's being put in and it's and it's kind of like he's uh, they pointed him and say right you're the creator in this team now go out there and create but it's not just something you can do by yourself you have to be in a team setup that suits you it's like kevin de bruyne every time he gets the ball and looks up he's got three people to pass to you know who does mkhitaryan pass to? like he's got lukaku and rashford both standing on the right wing well, what's he going to do with that that's true. And I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm, what I'm criticising Mkhitaryan for in particular is not getting involved in general play. It's not, it's not just wasting the ball when he gets it. It's not putting himself in positions to get the ball. I agree. I'd probably prefer him on the right. And uh, Mourinho needs a right winger. But to come back to Robin, I'm not sure what you said about Robin is quite right. In that Robin was devastating with Mourinho over that first Christmas at Chelsea when he was brilliant. Mourinho contrived to fall out with him subsequent to that. I don't think it's fair to say Mourinho didn't he, get the best. He always Robin. falls out with these guys. He always falls out with those. I mean, same with Eden Hazard recently. You know, Hazard played well and they fell out. They, they, they fall out because Jose Mourinho wants them to be fullbacks. 
and it's it's just I, it's, I it's ridiculous. That, I don't think that's why he fell out. I don't think I, I'm not saying he doesn't fall out with them. I'm not defending Mourinho in doing that. But if we're talking about the actual playing of football, then I think we need to separate falling out with Robin, which was was that not over over a fit was that not a fitness issue, and whether or not he got the best out of Robin, which I think he. 100% did. Robin was devastating for him and definitely one of the best players as a supporter that I've ever seen play against United when he was playing for Mourinho. So I don't think that's entirely fair, but I agree that Mkhitaryan doesn't seem to know what he's doing. But I also think that a lot of that is on Mkhitaryan. He was a lot better when Pogba was there. I mean, the whole team was better than Pogba was there. And clearly Pogba is that kind of player that can make things better. But I don't think that we can absolve Mkhitaryan of, um, of doing so little. He doesn't, he doesn't contribute anything when he's not playing well. And with a top player, the sign of a top player often isn't the level of their top level, but the level of their bottom level. And Mkhitaryan's bottom level, and I guess his mean level, is far too low for a player of that ability. And I don't think that is all on Mourinho. I think quite a lot of that is on Mkhitaryan. And he's not someone who has been fantastically consistent where, um, where, where he's played aside from United. Although, of course, Mourinho at that level has to take responsibility for buying him. Well, Antonio Conte's Eden Hazard this season is David Luiz. John, I don't know what you make of this situation here. It was interesting that, I mean, I mentioned this earlier on, it's, it's a straightforward enough act for a manager who, if he's not happy with a player, he calls him out over his performance. Player doesn't react well to that. Manager drops player, that seems fair enough. But at Chelsea, you, you can't really do that if the player is one of the favourites of the owner, which seems to be the case with David Luiz. And suddenly after the match, we're talking about Antonio Conte possibly being... You know, on the verge of getting sacked if he keeps up this sort of insolence. What do you think? Well, yeah, I, I also thought of I thought, thought of Ken actually when David Luiz got dropped. So I'm, I'm, I'm thought of you there, Ken. I he's in, he's, he's in bits, John. He's in absolute bits. Yeah. Um, yes. Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I wrote a piece last week talking about how Mourinho, you know, if if he could actually um, remove himself from his, you know, the the the, the blind hatred that rivalry gives him towards another man when they're up against each other that he might look at Conte's situation and think that they probably living like he's living a life that feels quite similar to that which Mourinho lived you know over both tenures at, at Chelsea um I think it was uh Ivanovic was the player that um Abramovich was very close to back in uh, Jose's reign David Luiz has taken on that that mantle these days um you know, if you're a manager at, Ch- at Chelsea and your instinct is to be the autocrat that both Conte and Mourinho want to be, you can't get away with it because the club is Roman Abramovich's. And when he starts doing things like appearing at training, then you know that uh, the same old pattern is being repeated. Um, I think the only thing that you would say is that Antonio Conte, should he be sacked by Roma Abramovich, is in fairly good company, would get other offers, and I think has done his reputation a lot of good mm. uh, in the job that he's done at Chelsea. I think he's done a fine job. It's been a more difficult season this season, but um, you know, the signs were yesterday that the, the players will play for him. And also, actually, the player he placed Louise with, uh, Christiansen, looks a hell of a player. And another of the problems that they have at Chelsea is that the hierarchy, maybe not so much Abramovich, but Michael Aminalo, Marina Gravskaya and all that, they want those young players to be given more of a chance in the team. And actually, in playing Christiansen, Conte was actually doing that. Whether that's enough for Mr Abramovich, we'll find out. But I think we know what's going to happen to Conte at Chelsea, don't we? Yeah, I think it's just a matter of when, I suppose. It's uh, pretty bonkers. John, brilliant. Daniel, thanks so much. 
No worries. I'm having a buzz floating around. Anyone wants to knock, give me a shell. Six million ways to die. Choose one. I don't like the name him because, you know, I, I actually think he's a very good writer. Mm. But it, it was a daft. This was a, a dig at football people who know the game. Using statistics uh, to try and undermine people who have eyes, ears, and common sense. What I'm saying is that sometimes the eyes and ears mislead you. The ears, particularly if it's Paul Merson talking to them, might mislead you. This was a dig at football people who know the game. You know the balls and the stones. Have a proper debate. I'd love to debate him. You could sell tickets for that. All I have to back it up are facts. All I have to back it up is the factual record of what what took place. Bring it on. This was a dig at football people who know the game. He's the one who's on the attack, don't forget. Hmm. And has been for some time without naming people. I think they call that on a verbal broadside. You've been on the attack, Ken, but you don't have you just don't have what it takes to name names. You don't have the balls, Ken. You don't have the stones. <laughs> <laughs> don't have the balls. Yeah, I don't want to put them down. But they seem to want to prove that you don't need to know anything about football to write about it. This was a dig at football people who know the game. You know the balls, Ken. You know the stones. I must say, I was watching that Manchester United game yesterday thinking, if I'm a Manchester United fan, I'm a little bit concerned that that, 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 that is the best we can go. And I know immediately you're a sport of a club, you defend the club to the hilt and you defend the manager and the players and so on, but not for, the first, not for the first time this season against... Uh, a good team. It just looked a little bit listless. Maybe Paul Pogba coming back in will make a difference. As Daniel outlines, there's not much in midfield without Pogba there, even though he has his critics. There's a different dynamic when he's involved. But other than that, there's not much else to to get particularly excited about at the moment. No. Um, and the problem is, obviously, the embarrassing gap to Manchester City. You know, Because it's not like if, if Mourinho had only taken over this season... It would be like, well, he's had time to put together the kind of team that he wants. But they've been there exactly the same amount of time. They've spent similar amounts of money. They've spent the money very differently. What about the argument that Daniel makes there that they're starting from very different bases? I don't agree with that. Uh, I, I think that's that's complete nonsense that Mourinho's been spinning. Uh, this idea that, that Manchester United were a shambles. Manchester City were, I mean, was there one point between them? The previous season, didn't City only make it to the Champions League? But if one, you're a new manager coming into a team, what you what you want is you're never going to have the squad you want, or even the first team you want. But what you could really do is three or four really top quality players to base your team around. And the argument that Daniel makes there is that Manchester United didn't have an Aguero type goal scorer, probably didn't have anyone of De Bruyne's ability. But they they well they bought Mkhitaryan. He was fantastic. I mean, Mkhitaryan won Player of the Year in Germany just like De Bruyne did. But De Bruyne would not play this well if Mourinho was the manager. He didn't. He would. He would be playing as a winger. He'd be like, oh, you, you know, you can cross, get out there. He's no. He doesn't grasp. He 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 honestly does not grasp the complexity of football at the level that Guardiola does. He just didn't get it. It's his teams are incapable of doing what Guardiola does. Most uh, most managers are, but you know, you, you like to say the Joey Barton point was. Uh, uh, put Guardiola at Burnley and you wouldn't be getting too many 7 nils or whatever his point was. But that's why you compare you compare e- equally resourced managers. Now, City and Man United got 66 points. Both of them got 66 points. 19 wins, 9 draws, 10 defeats each. 
That was the see. That was the previous season. City only qualified ahead of United because they had more goals scored, um, or, or rather had a goal difference. Their goal difference was better, but the same number of points. We're not talking about a huge gulf in quality between these squads, but you know, Guardiola's just managed his better. You know, he he understands players. He he puts them in roles that make sense. De Bruyne is flourishing because he's in a setup which is which is going to maximize him. Mkhitaryan is dying. Because he is just being left, he, he's just been left to, you know, sink or swim. It's like you can, if you can dribble past two guys and set up a goal, that's what you're in the team for, son. You know, but I'm not going to give you any help. You know, there's not going to be a, a rational structure around you that makes sense of this. It's, you know. And, it boils down to the fucking manager. <laughs> it's not, it's not all. But I think he's got, he, he, has, he has got the resources to add players he wants. He already had some excellent players that he's not even really using. It's it's clear as day what's happening, and also you could see he, he started doing this Trumpian thing of sicking on the loyalist fans onto the mm, more skeptical ones, you know, by by saying by by creating this nonsense by oh you were booing the like, who was booing Lukaku? I think they might start booing Lukaku if you know he continues to flounder as he has been. I mean, I think that's that's another weird one. That's another confidence spiral that we're looking at. The Lukaku Mourinho situation. Remember, it's already it's a relationship that previously broke down when when Lukaku was at Chelsea. He felt he didn't he wasn't feeling the faith from Mourinho at that point. He decided he, he wanted to move on. Mourinho was happy to let him go, as it was with, just as it was with Kevin De Bruyne, as it was with with um, Mo Salah. You know, um, and and I do I do wonder if if the, if that's going to become a problem. But at the point when Mourinho started complaining about this, nobody had been booing Lukaku. What's he talking about? You know, he's, he's saying, oh, some of you didn't enjoy the game, but well, I hope you enjoy this game more than some of you enjoyed the game against Tottenham. He's, what he's trying to do there is get his boys, the, the fans who are like, yeah, Jose, you know, you're, we're going to, he's a proven winner. He, he delivers silverware. You know, those, mm. th- that crowd, onto the people who might be like, is, it, I don't know, is this really the best we can do? Why is our team built around Marrow and Fellaini? You know, why is Marrow and Fellaini the, the only player in our team that, that the whole setup really suits? So he's playing such amazing football. actually is an interesting argument in this idea of, oh, well, there's just better squads, you know, like the, the, the players are just better. Fellaini is really important to Jose Mourinho, and he he wouldn't be important to any other manager in well, the be, top six. I, no, I'm sorry, I thought you were going to say he would be important to, Tony Pulis would, would use... Yeah, in the top six. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. But like any of the other big teams, Fellaini would not be a big... Uh, would not be a big issue. So, I mean, it's not just a case of objectively, of course, Man City have better players, therefore, you know, they they should be eight points ahead of Manchester United and everyone else in the league. I mean, the fact of the matter is, I mean, different players play differently under different managers. I mean, careers flourish and thrive or die on the back of who your manager is often. And, like, De Bruyne is literally the exact example that at the same age... That you know, Leroy Sané is now. Hmm. Mourinho had no use for him. No, he's like, what do you do? He De Bruyne tells a story about like, uh, you know, the way that De Bruyne tells the story, and it sounds the way that he tells it is almost unbelievable. I wonder if he remembers it correctly because it seems incredible to me that Mourinho would even try pulling something like this. But basically, the De Bruyne was complaining, uh, "Why don't I play? I should play." And Mourinho gathered together all of his little um, attacking midfield kind of. Guys, mm. you know your your hazards, your uh, whoever who, who else Chelsea had at that time. You know we're talking twenty thirteen, I guess. Oscars, uh, your sure, like your Shirley's, your Oscars, gathered them all together, 
right, you know, my little side zero attacking midfield frauds. Uh, you know, <laughs> let's let's uh, let's sit down and have a look at some cold hard numbers, shall we? Goals. Who's top? Eden, you know, number one. I'm I'm making up the the list now. Eden, number one. Kevin, number two. Or Andre, number two. Oscar, number three. You know, Kevin, where are you? Oh, you're like number four or five. Assists. Eden, number one. You know, goes through all these. And De Bruyne's looking at this like open mouth. And remember, this is a, De Bruyne's like, let me talk, right? This is what he's thinking inside. <laughs> let me talk. But he's waiting for, uh, waiting for me. And he says, Jose, I don't understand how you can make this argument. I've barely been on the pitch. Of course, you know, Eden has already scored more goals than me. I haven't been playing. You know what I mean? I can't, how, can I, how can I rack up the numbers if I'm not on the, pit, on the pitch? And Marino's kind of like, you know, that's <laughs> what kind of talk. It's just loser talk. You know, I don't know. I've, I've, I, I'm forced at this point, Kevin, to question whether you have the mentality to, to make it in, in the game at this level. That's essentially that's the story De Bruyne tells. I can't believe that Mourinho would try to actually make an argument like that without sort of correcting for assists per 90, goals per You know what I mean? Because mm. it's just so obviously a, a stupid argument. But that's what De Bruyne says. That's it. Thanks. Um, Simon's, thank you. Simon's back from holidays, I should mention. That's why all the hotkeys were... Yeah, well done, Simon. So prevalent today. He's back. Denmark vs Ireland playoff build up coming up during the World Service all week so we will see you if you're signed up from tomorrow thanks very much Ken thanks very much Kieran. thank you Ken thank, thank you, you all. Thanks so much. Owen I like you and I like your style Marad love you Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 